You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. Mark Meadows, listen, I did this for seven years, as you guys know. You do not give immunity, complete immunity, to the former White House chief of staff unless he's got information that is devastating and that you couldn't get any other way. Donald Trump is in huge trouble. Chris Christie, the former U.S. attorney for New Jersey and a current presidential candidate, was blunt about the news that Mark Meadows, the final chief of staff to Donald Trump, was given immunity from prosecution by the special counsel in the election interference case against the former president. According to Bloomberg sources, Meadows testified before the D.C. grand jury that he repeatedly told Trump in the weeks following the conclusion of the 2020 election that claims of election fraud were baseless. Donald Trump denies that. As I've spoken to Mark Meadows many, many times over the years, and uh, he strongly believed the election was rigged. Now, of course, you know, deranged Jack Smith and the prosecutors, they go after somebody for years. And they say, look, here's the story. Uh, we'll give you nothing. We'll erect a statue to you, or you're going to go to jail for 10 years for having done nothing wrong. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people have to make that decision. Some people would never make that decision. Other people would. Joining me is former federal prosecutor Robert Mintz, a partner at Carter in English. Bob, there are different kinds of immunity. What kind does Meadows reportedly have? Based upon reports, Mark Meadows, Former President Donald Trump's final chief of staff has spoken with special counsel Jack Smith's team at least three times and reportedly has testified before the federal grand jury. That only came after Meadows was granted immunity to testify under oath. In this case, there's two types of immunity. There's use immunity and transactional immunity. Reportedly, Mr. Meadows was given use immunity, which protects him from any statements he makes to the grand jury or information derived from those statements. So what that means effectively is that prosecutors can't use those statements and can't use information derived from those statements in a prosecution against them in the future. As a practical matter, it is very difficult for prosecutors to pursue a criminal case against somebody, even if they've only been given this use immunity, because they would have to show that they brought these charges based not upon the statements and not derived from those statements in order to make a successful case. So they would have to show that there's some kind of independent source for the evidence that they use to charge somebody. As a practical matter, what that means is once somebody's given use immunity, it effectively means that prosecutors 
have decided not to charge them with a criminal offense related to that testimony. Former New Jersey U.S. Attorney Chris Christie has said that as a prosecutor, you don't give immunity to someone like Mark Meadows, the former chief of staff, unless he has some devastating evidence against Trump. Do you agree with that in this case? Well, there's a couple of reasons you'd want to give somebody immunity. One of them is because that you do believe they have valuable evidence and you're willing to essentially immunize them from prosecution in exchange for the testimony they're about to give. But there are also some other reasons why you would give immunity, and one of them is to lock in that testimony of that witness. So what would have happened if they had not given immunity to Mark Meadows is he would have gone before the grand jury and he would have asserted his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination and refused to answer questions. That would leave prosecutors not knowing what he might say at a trial down the road. By giving him immunity, they essentially forced him to testify because he could no longer rely on that Fifth Amendment right. And it forced him to go on the record under oath with his statements about everything the prosecutors asked him about related to January 6th, the events surrounding January 6th, and efforts to overturn the 2020 election. I mean, it does seem like Meadows has a lot to talk about. He was in this really unique position by Trump's side, seemingly a central player in efforts to overturn the election. So all those meetings we heard about inside the White House in the run-up to January 6th, he was privy to. He certainly was a central figure. As you say, the January 6th committee report placed him in the thick of a series of key meetings and actions inside the White House during the run-up to the U.S. Capitol attack. He was also on that infamous call with the Georgia Secretary of State, where Trump said, find me 11,780 votes. So he is on the inside of many of the most controversial and critical aspects of the case that prosecutors are pursuing in federal court in Washington. Now, one thing may cut against the importance of his testimony. ABC News reported that investigators specifically asked Meadows if Trump ever acknowledged to him that he lost the election. And Meadows told investigators that he never heard Trump say that. Does that missing element make his testimony a little less valuable to prosecutors? Well, that's a great question, and we really don't know how valuable Mark Meadows' testimony might be. It's hard to say because we don't know exactly what he said, but we can surmise from his prior statements and from the information that we are getting from news sources that he is contradicting President Trump's statements immediately after the election, and he is, interestingly, contradicting his own statements in a book that he wrote shortly after the election in which he supported the allegations that there were improprieties and irregularities connected to the 2020 election. According to reports now, he has backtracked and reversed his position on that and acknowledged that there was no credible evidence that there was any tampering or illegality associated with the 2020 election that would have overturned the election results, and that he said as much to former President Trump. That goes to the heart of the Trump defense, which is the president's state of mind when he decided to pursue these attacks on the 2020 election results. Meadows took public stances that the election was stolen. As you said in his book, he said the election was stolen and rigged. So how much credibility will he have before a jury when now he's saying, no, I lied, or words to that effect? Well, that's the problem that prosecutors frequently face with people who cooperate with them. It's not unusual for a witness to have testified or to have made statements 
saying one thing, and then when it comes to trial, they now reverse their position. Ultimately, the credibility of the witness depends upon how they can explain the change in their position. In this case, the statements that were made in the book were obviously not under oath. When he was finally placed under oath, or perhaps forced to be placed under oath because of the immunity deal, he told the truth. That's what prosecutors are going to argue. It seems a little different, though, because he memorialized these lies in a published book. And I'm sure the defense is going to read from pertinent parts of that book if he takes the stand. Yeah, I mean, that makes him a flawed witness for sure. And he has gone on record having said that he believes much of what Trump has said regarding the election. Now he's changing course here and saying he didn't believe it at all. That's something the prosecutors will have to address if they decide to use him as a key witness in the federal trial. And Bob, will you explain the importance to the prosecution of the reporting that Meadows said he repeatedly told Trump in the weeks following the 2020 election that claims of election fraud were baseless? If that's true, that could bolster the prosecution's case that Trump pushed to reverse his defeat, knowing that that was not true. At the end of the day, the case turns on what's called the mens rea or the corrupt intent of former President Trump. Prosecutors have to prove that he knew when he pushed these fake electors and these allegations of tampering with the election, that he knew that it was not true at the time. And if it's true that Mark Meadows repeatedly told him that it was not true, that helps get to this question of state of mind. The real question is, is it reasonable, is it believable that former President Trump did not believe that he lost that election? That requires the jury to get into the mind of the defendant to try to understand what he was thinking. And the only way to do that is to show circumstantially by witness testimony what he was told at the time and what he may have said in response to others telling him that the election was lost. Meadows was not among the six unindicted co-conspirators described in the August indictment returned against Trump. Does that indicate that prosecutors at that point knew that he was going to cooperate or targeted him as a cooperator? There's long been speculation about whether Mark Meadows was actually cooperating with federal prosecutors, because if you remember, the Department of Justice declined to prosecute him for refusing to comply with a subpoena to turn over documents to the Congressional Committee investigating the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol. Others were prosecuted for their failure to cooperate. He was not. And so there has long been questions about whether Mr. Meadows was cooperating with federal prosecutors. And now that he has struck this immunity deal, allegedly, that only adds further fuel to that speculation. Coming up next, we'll take a look at the barrage of arguments Trump is making to try to get the D.C. judge to dismiss the election interference case against him. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. 
Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. Stunning news this week that Mark Meadows, the final chief of staff to Donald Trump, has been given immunity from prosecution in the election interference case against the former president and has testified before a D.C. grand jury hearing evidence in the case. According to Bloomberg sources, in his testimony before the grand jury, Meadows said he repeatedly told Trump that claims of election fraud in the 2020 presidential election were baseless. Trump has denied that on Truth Social, saying, quote, Mark Meadows never told me that allegations of significant fraud about the rigged election were baseless. The former president also addressed that during a break in the Manhattan trial where his business empire is at stake. But uh, Mark Meadows always felt it was rigged. The whole thing was rigged. It was rigged and it was stolen. I've been talking to former federal prosecutor Robert Mintz of McCarter and English. So, as you say, as part of the immunity deal, the evidence Meadows gives can't be used against him in a federal prosecution. But what about in the Georgia prosecution where he's a co-defendant? That's an excellent point because the immunity deal that he has from the federal prosecutors only protects him from federal prosecutors using those statements in a federal prosecution. does not protect him from the state prosecution. That is ongoing in Georgia, where he is charged as the defendant in a RICO conspiracy to overturn the election. So it suggests to me that at some point he may also strike a deal to plead guilty in the case in Georgia, although that has not yet happened. If you were his lawyer, would you allow him to give evidence in a federal case, you know, when he has jeopardy in a state case? Meadows was not indicted in the federal case in Washington that's set to go to trial in March, but he was charged alongside former President Trump and other top allies in the Fulton County District Attorney case in Georgia. There he was charged on RICO and conspiracy charges for trying to overturn the 2020 election results. And the interesting development here is by striking this immunity deal and being forced to give testimony in the federal case, Will those statements ultimately be used against him in the case in Georgia? Under the law, there's nothing that ties the DA's hands in Georgia to not use that information. Federal prosecutors can be willing to give up prosecution of Mr. Meadows in a federal case and agree not to use his statements in any federal prosecution, but they cannot bar the DA in Georgia from using those statements. 
Are you surprised that so many people are flipping on Donald Trump? We have Mark Meadows. We have four people in Georgia, including three attorneys. And CNN is reporting that the Georgia DA is talking to six other defendants. Well, again, just to be clear, we don't know whether Mark Meadows has actually become a cooperator with federal prosecutors. It may be that he did, but we can't necessarily make that conclusion based upon the information we have. We just know that he's been given immunity and he's given testimony. We'll have to see where that case goes. But we do know that other individuals in the Georgia case have pled guilty and have agreed to cooperate. And that's always a bad sign for the defense. You always want a united front as a defendant. In this case, it was particularly useful for the Trump team to have a case go to trial before former President Trump went to trial in Georgia. That would have given him a preview of the, of the state's case. It would have allowed them to hear the testimony from the state's witnesses and to use that testimony later on in a case against former President Trump. When all these defendants decide to plead guilty rather than go to trial, it deprives the defense of that advantage. Turning away from Mark Meadows, on Monday, Trump rolled out a new multi-pronged attack in the federal election obstruction case, making arguments based on claims of presidential immunity, selective prosecution, the First Amendment, due process, and more. Judge Tanya Chutkin to throw out the case against him, which is scheduled to begin on March 4th. Do any of the arguments seem like winners to you? We've seen former President Trump's lawyers unleash a barrage of defenses in the federal case that's set to go to trial in March. They have argued a number of defenses. I don't think any of them are likely to succeed before this judge. One of them is presidential immunity. We've seen that argument made time and again. Essentially, what the Trump team is claiming is that former President Trump has immunity against charges for conduct that falls within what's called the outer perimeter of his presidential duties. The U.S. Supreme Court adopted that standard a long time ago to protect current and former presidents against civil lawsuits, but it's an open question about how that is affected by criminal prosecution. The Trump lawyers argue that a strong shield is necessary to empower presidents to make decisions in office without worrying about threats of future charges from political rivals. Prosecutors argue there's no support for this position in the Constitution or in any Supreme Court precedent, and they say it should be harder, not easier, for current and former office holders to claim criminal immunity because those prosecutions are meant to protect the interests of the public, not private parties. So we're in uncharted water once again with this argument because we've never had a circumstance where a president was attempting to claim immunity from a criminal prosecution. You know, selective prosecution is another one of the arguments they're making, and he's used that before. For example, in the New York Attorney General civil case against him. And listen to what he said outside the courtroom. This is a railroading that's all coming out of the Department of Justice. It's all set up by Biden and his thugs that he's surrounded with to try and sneak out an election victory that he's not entitled to win because he's been the worst president in the history of our country. Well, I think we're seeing the selective prosecution argument coming out again and again because it serves two purposes. One, it is a legal argument that they can make, albeit one that's very difficult to prove. But I also think it plays to the larger attempt by the Trump defense team to sell this case and to sell the defense to the public at large. The selective prosecution argument is essentially the argument that former President Trump is being treated unfairly, that he's being singled out 
by an allegedly corrupt Department of Justice and that President Biden is behind all of these prosecutions in order to try to eliminate his chief rival in the upcoming election. But the reality is that these selective prosecutions, from a legal standpoint, are exceedingly difficult to win. People make these arguments all the time. For example, if you're driving down the highway and you're, and you're in a group of 10 cars that are all speeding, you get pulled over, you could turn around and say, why am I being pulled over when the nine other people were doing exactly what I was doing and none of them are being prosecuted for speeding? The reality is that in order for that defense to have any merit, you have to show not only that you were singled out, but that you were singled out for some discriminatory or unconstitutional reason. Here, that's going to be very difficult to prove. Essentially, the defense would have to prove that there is a political motive for all these prosecutions and that President Biden is somehow behind these prosecutions. That's an argument we've heard over and over again, but not one that is likely to be well received by this judge. Well, special counsel Jack Smith's office already filed its opposition to Trump's presidential immunity claim. And they're going to have two weeks to respond to this latest round of challenges. Thanks so much, Bob. That's former federal prosecutor Robert Mintz, a partner at McCarter and English. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Sam Bankman-Fried came to court today prepared to take the stand and defend his actions in the lead-up to the collapse of his digital asset empire to the jury. It's always risky for a defendant to take the stand, but it may have been Bankman-Fried's only play after taking a beating from former colleagues who described him as the mastermind of a years-long scheme to defraud FTX customers and investors. But instead of testifying to the jury... 
Bankman-Fried spent three hours testifying to Judge Lewis Kaplan, trying to convince the judge to allow him to testify to the jury about the role FTX lawyers played in the lead-up to the collapse of the crypto exchange and the alleged mismanagement of customer funds. Joining me is Bloomberg legal reporter Bob Van Voris, who was in the courtroom today to see this testimony before the testimony. So, Bob, did Bankman-Fried give any testimony before the jury today? Not in front of the jury. That's the thing. He spent the entire afternoon on the stand, but he was previewing testimony that he wants to give relating to advice that he got from lawyers. So Judge Kaplan is listened to the testimony. He's going to rule in the morning what the jury gets to hear. They got sent home after lunch. This is something, advice of counsel, that the judge nixed, stopped the defense from using at the beginning of the trial in the opening statements. Well, yeah, that's the thing. The judge said that they couldn't bring it up in the opening statement, but that, you know, when it came to the trial, when it came to actual questions, he'd rule on a case-by-case basis. So he told the parties that, you know, rather than rule on objections after objections when they come up, he would listen to Bankman Creek's testimony and let them know what was okay and, and what was not okay. That basically what was a dress rehearsal for his testimony. So tell us what he testified to, some of the areas he testified to. So he got up and was asked on direct, basically about particular transactions that were problematic, that were part of the charges of the case. And, you know, did lawyers advise him on that? These included, there was testimony early in the trial about how he told people to put their communications on auto-delete so that communications would delete after a week. His side was trying to show that that wasn't sinister at all, but that it was part of a document retention policy, and that he was advised by lawyers and that lawyers were aware of them. Basically, the point that the defense is trying to get across is that he did things in the plain sight of lawyers, and so therefore he didn't have any intent to defraud people. So it's not really an advice of counsel defense so much as it's a sort of a take on that? Yeah, that's exactly right. They're not putting a formal advice of counsel defense where he would say, look, I ran this by my lawyer. My lawyer told me to do this, did it. Therefore, even if it was against the law, you can't prosecute me for that. It's less formal than that. It's just that you know, he's saying that I didn't have criminal intent here because, you know, obviously I was doing this in front of lawyers. I thought it was okay. And that shows that I thought it was okay. So Judge Kaplan has, it seems like with every major motion, question that's come up, Judge Kaplan has ruled against Bankman-Fried. Today, he asked his lawyer about a hypothetical situation where someone comes across a large sum of money uses a lawyer to buy an apartment on Billionaire's Row and is later charged with money laundering. How is that different from what you're trying to do in principle? It sounds like he doubts this as well. It does sound like he's skeptical, and we're going to find out tomorrow morning, you know, how much of, if any, of this he's going to allow in. The prosecution is trying to argue that, you know, this is basically um, evidence that's going to confuse the jury and that's not going to basically elucidate the points that the defense is trying to to make, or at least legitimate points, and they want the judge to keep it out. The judge also said at the beginning that this was going to confuse the jury. 
they think the jury can handle all these different financial transactions, but they can handle advice of counsel. It seems to me the confusion argument is just so thin. That's a really good point. You know, I think you're right about that. There has been a lot of testimony about crypto wallets and and money moving around virtually and accounting and and all that sort of stuff. Um, Yeah, I think you're right that they can make sense of that kind of testimony. But we'll see. We'll see what the judge has to say about that. What was his demeanor like on the stand? He was very even on direct. He was very concise to the point uh, in giving his testimony under questioning from his own lawyer. On cross-examination by Danielle Sassoon, the assistant U.S. attorney, he was very, might even call him evasive. He was polite, but quibbling with the questions, did a lot of digressions, sort of dodging, occasionally even apologized in advance if he was not going to be answering the questions she asked. It was not a very good performance on cross, and and if his cross-examination in front of the jury is the same. He's going to have some difficulty. This is sort of like a trial run for him then. They can try to correct. That's right. Uh, In the press room, we're calling it the dress rehearsal testimony (laughs) because the jury, you know, they're all home and in front of the judge. But, you know, sometimes if the dress rehearsal doesn't go well, the premiere is is a smash hit. So we'll We'll have to see. But if it's a repeat performance tomorrow, I don't think it's going to be very good for Sam Patrick Creed. What other witnesses is the defense intending to call? The defense is done with everybody except for Sam Bankman Freed. They had a couple of brief witnesses this morning. They had uh, an expert witness to talk about, uh, sort of forensic witness to talk about the transfers between Alameda and FTX. Very brief defense case other than to put on Sam Bankman-Fried, who's likely to go all day tomorrow, maybe into Monday. Let's go back and look at the reason why he may be testifying is because the evidence that the prosecution presented against him in these weeks has been pretty compelling. Describe, you know, some of the main witnesses' testimony. Well, he's been faced with testimony from a number of people that he was once close to, that he formerly worked with, including three insiders, uh, three people very close to him in the inner circle who have pled guilty and are testifying, uh, cooperating with the government. These include Caroline Ellison, his former girlfriend, who he installed as the CEO of Alameda Research which is the affiliated hedge fund with uh, the FTX crypto exchange. She gave very uh, effective testimony. Uh, Also, Gary Wong, his FTX co-founder, and Nishad Singh, who is the head of engineering for FTX. Um, All three of them gave very clear testimony. They, in addition, put on Ken Sun, the former general counsel, the top in-house lawyer at FTX who testified that Bankman Free did not let him know about the huge amount of borrowing from uh, Alameda uh, that Alameda took from uh, customer funds at FTX. Did Bankman Freed come off as unlikable through the testimony about his lifestyle and how he wanted to project this image and hanging around with celebrities? 
There was certainly a, a decent amount of that sort of testimony about him, you know, sort of dominating other people, presenting an image to the public that he wasn't actually, you know, manifesting in his personal life, that, you know, he was fairly calculating. There was that sort of testimony during the trial. And you would think that part of the reason that he wants to testify is to counter some of that. So, you know, we'll have to see how effective he is at that. Yeah, his whole defense is riding on him. And they say that when a defendant takes the stand, it becomes all about his credibility for the jury. So we'll see what happens tomorrow. I understand this was like a hot ticket today. There were people waiting in line to get into the courtroom. That's right. There were uh, dozens of people when I came in this morning, a little bit before nine, dozens of people lined up for just 21 press seats in the courtroom today. I talked to one of the reporters who was number two in line. He had showed up at 2.40 in the morning to line up for that seat. And there were three overflow rooms for those who couldn't get into the courtroom. Have there been a lot of crypto enthusiasts at the trial? There absolutely has been a lot of crypto press, a lot of just people who follow cryptocurrency. This is a very, very interesting trial for people in that world. It's obviously an event that was a huge watershed in the crypto world, and people want to see these personalities who they you know, came to know. They want to see them in person telling their stories. And has the jury been attentive through these weeks of testimony? The jury has been attentive. There's certainly, uh, with SBF on the stand, you can expect them to be glued to every word. They were very attentive for Caroline Ellison's testimony and things and Wong's as well. A little less so with some of the sort of more technical yeah. testimony, but yeah, they're going to be riveted tomorrow. If the judge doesn't allow this advice of counsel defense, or, you know, this version of an advice of counsel defense, what does that leave the defense to argue? We'll have to see what they're going to question him on, because whatever they question him on, he can get hostile questioning on cross-examination. So, you know, the last thing the defense wants to do is prove the government's case for them. So they're going to have to think very strategically about what they want Sam Beckman Freed to testify on and, you know, where he's vulnerable and where he's less vulnerable. We'll find out tomorrow morning what he's allowed to testify to. It will be an exciting day tomorrow in the court, I think, Bob. Thanks so much. That's Bloomberg legal reporter Bob Van Voris. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at www.bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. And remember to tune into the Bloomberg Law Show every weeknight at 10 p.m. Wall Street time. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.